Does anybody love a good crime show? Put your hand up if you love a crime show. And yeah, there you go. You know? and, uh, um, and if, if you're in a loving relationship, you end up watching a, um, a TV show that you don't, you're not actually interested in, but you end up watching it anyway because your better other half is watching it and you've got no choice. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All these, I was actually quite surprised how many arms went up then. And, um, and so my wife loves watching crime shows. And this one particular crime show we're watching, I'm more of a sci-fi guy. I'm a geek. I'm a real geek. You know, you name it. I love sci-fi. Um, and so, but anyway, we're watching this crime show. And, and this particular crime show, we had this FBI agent, and he was really weary. He was, in fact, he was uncomfortable about the certain case. And the reason why he was uncomfortable about the certain case is because he's a devout, this FBI agent is a, is a devout Catholic. And the victim was, was being beaten up by her husband. And the reason why this made him uncomfortable is because, because her husband was a pastor. And he's thinking, how can a pastor beat his wife, right? He's just really uncomfortable about this. Now, his partner, his FBI partner, is also his wife as a forensic scientist. And you probably know what show I'm talking about. It's called Bones. And uh, she's an atheist. And so she responds to her husband's dilemma. This is what she says. She says, she says, violence would be the logical extension of his belief. The Bible features a vengeful God who capriciously slaughters the creatures he creates. Sweets, this is the psychologist on the team, Sweets will characterize him as a sociopath. And her husband, the devout Catholic, says, wait, God is not a sociopath. And then she says, let's just say that I don't want him babysitting our child. All right, this is the show. Because anger is a powerful emotion. It's a powerful emotion. We get angry when we try to protect ourselves, when, when, when we're not being heard. When we feel that we're being mistreated, right? We try to protect ourselves. The challenge is, is trying to hear all the facts before we react. Because if we don't hear all the facts before we react, then we end up in an argument over a misunderstanding. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Right? And that's the challenge. Self-protection anger gets us into a lot of trouble. Because quite often, we're too angry before we hear all, all the facts. And then when we finally hear all the facts, we're gone too far down the road that neither any one of us want to back up. Right? I, I know that doesn't happen to anyone here in this room. So we're, we're part three in our series, Revealing the Unchanging God. Revealing the Unchanging God. How well do you know God? How well do you know God? Because how well you know God determines how you relate to Him. How you relate to Him. Because this is an assumption by many people who believe that God is angry, that He's up there somewhere, distant from us. He's waiting for us to make a mistake. And when we make a mistake, He's just ready to throw those lightning bolts down and you are going to be punished, right? Have you ever been, has anybody in this room ever been angry before? Not me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, have you ever been angry before? Now, because you become angry, does that make you an angry person? No. And yet we assume that God is an angry God. But anger can also be a protective energy. Anger can, anger can be used to protect people. And that's how God's anger is portrayed in the Bible. God is not a volatile a volatile, angry being who loses his cool from time to time. But our God's anger is measured, and it's a reasonable response to evil that exists in our world. And that being said, are you ready for an angry Bible verse? You ready for an angry Bible verse? 
Isaiah 5.25. I was looking for a real angry Bible verse. This is what Isaiah 25 says. It says, That is why Yahweh's anger burns against His people. Not against other people, against His people. And why He has raised His fist to crush them. The mountains tremble and the corpses of His people litter the streets like garbage. But even Yahweh's anger is not satisfied. His fist is poised to strike. And you're like, oh my goodness, dead bodies in the streets. That's a lot of anger. That's a lot of anger. And and, and understandably makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable. And, And this does sound like an angry, vengeful God. In fact, God's anger is one of the many reasons many people state for not liking the God of the Bible. Because of verses like this. And, and it's really easy to come to this conclusion when you take verses like this, when you take it out of context. When you take this verse out of context, you go, yeah, absolutely. What an what a angry God. I can't believe you serve an angry God like that, who likes the litter streets or dead bodies of his own people. What kind of God is it? But this is what happens when we take things out of context. Because what's happening here is, is, that, is that quite often, Quite often, um, Isaiah is prophesying. He's prophesying to the people that God's judgment is coming. He's warning them. God's judgment is coming because Israel has become corrupt and they've become arrogant. And they begin to copy the behavior of the surrounding nations around them and they begin to chase after their gods. So instead of looking after the widows, instead of looking after the poor, they begin to oppress the less fortunate. And when God set aside Israel, He made a covenant with them. And he said that you will be a kingdom of priests. So much so that that you will become a blessing to the nations. That the nations will see the goodness, God's goodness through you. That they will begin to copy you. And they'll begin to find God. But instead, they begin to copy the, the customs of the behaviors of the nations around them. Be careful what you copy into your life. Be careful what practices you begin to copy into your life. Because what you copy, it will eventually capture you. And you become slaves to whatever it is. And you've got to keep on doing these things. Because what you copy will eventually capture you. And the Israelites began to copy the worship of the Syrians and the Babylonians. And they eventually captured them. So Isaiah, he's prophesying. He's prophesying that, 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 this nation, that, this, that an invading nation is coming. And they're going to bring death and exile. And they're going to leave dead bodies in their wake. And that's exactly what happened to them? That's exactly what happened to them. So what does God's anger actually look like? What does it look like? Well, the first description we have of God is found in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And it's actually God revealing who He is to Moses. He's, in fact, this verse is the most quoted verse within the Old Testament itself. And it begins to reveal who He is. And, and this, is what, this is what God says to Moses. He says, and it says that Yahweh passed before Moses, before him, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. And what's really interesting about this list that God gives, this is, he says, this is who I am. This is how I behave. So you've got a list of attributes here, but right in the middle, there's five here, if you can see, right in the middle, it's not really an attribute. It's an emotion. There's an emotion right there. In the, in the last couple of weeks, we looked at God is compassionate. God is gracious. 
But right here is this emotion, slow to anger. And you're like, well, wouldn't it be better if God wasn't angry? Like, why is there an emotion in the middle of who God is? And it's because this emotion describes how God feels when he witnesses human evil. This is how we feel. It's just like, just like what you would feel if you were in the playground and you saw a kid being bullied by a whole bunch of other kids. And anger, this, the, it's the anger that you feel is this emotion that you feel. If you don't feel anything that's happening right now, then there's something wrong with you, right? And there'll be something wrong with God if God never got angry when he saw the oppressed, when he saw evil happening. If God was like, well, hey, you know, it's not my problem. But God, this, this, this emotion expresses how God feels when he sees human evil and he sees the way the humans oppress one another and ruin his good will. Because one thing we got to know about God's anger, that it's slow. God's anger is slow, which means he gives us plenty of time to change, just like in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, let me read this to you. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was in the Assyrian Empire. The, the, the Assyrian Empire, they were, the, uh, the Assyrian Empire, man, that was nasty. The evils they did to other nations was nasty. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from Yahweh and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish. He jumped on a boat and headed in the other direction. Now, why did Jonah run? The reason he ran, he ran, reason he ran is because he wanted God to destroy Nineveh. He wanted to destroy them. Why did Jonah want God to destroy Nineveh? It's because he hated Nineveh. He hated the Ninevites because of, of the atrocity that they did to their people, especially what they did to Israel. Like in today's terms, it's kind of like how, how a Jew would view a Nazi or the Hamas. And today's scene, it, it, because their warfare policies are still disturbing today. And an ancient Israelite will read the story and they'll understand why Jonah ran and say, well, good on you. Good on you. But for us, we're reading the story and we think, wow, what a selfish guy Jonah is running away. What a selfish guy. But isn't it what we do ourselves? Like, have you, do, you, do you hate someone? Oh, sorry, that's a really strong term. Is there someone that you dislike? It's a more PC term. Is there someone that you dislike? Is there someone that you're really, really angry with? Is there someone that you, that you, man, I can't wait till they get their just desserts? And this is what this book of Jonah is all about. This book is about, this book is about when we begin to struggle with the fact that God loves our enemies just like he loves you. That's what the book of Jonah is about. When we struggle with the fact that God loves our enemies just like he loves you. And that God wants them to find freedom just like you have found freedom. This is what the story is. And, and, and this doesn't sound like an angry God. This uh, sounds like a God who is slow to anger. And we know the story. Everyone knows the story of Jonah, whether you're Christian or not. Jonah and the whale get swallowed by the whale. In the Bible, it's a large fish. And Jonah, he, he's in the belly of the fish for three, for three days, right? And he repents and God commands the fish to spit him out on the shores of Nineveh. He gets up, you know, all gooey from the fish, goes into Nineveh, and he begins to proclaim that God's judgment is coming to the city. And then this amazing thing happened. The whole city of Nineveh, they begin to repent. It's incredible. These, these guys, especially bad guys, they begin to repent. And this is what happened. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did 
and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Well, what a, was that? An, is this the same God who, from Isaiah? What's going on here? What was Jonah's response? Jonah 4 verse 1. This change of plan greatly upset Jonah. Greatly upset him. And he became very angry. So he complained to Yahweh. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Yahweh? That is why I ran to Tarshish. And then Jonah quotes Exodus 34, our verse. He quotes it. He says this, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You are eager to turn, turn your back from destroying people. Why did Jonah run in the first place? Because he knew the character of God. He knew who God was. He knew that God would do this if they turned, and he didn't want that, and he's angry. He's really upset. I'm so glad we serve a gracious God, a God who's given me countless chances and continue to open up his hand to me. So how does the God of the Bible express his anger? He hands us over. He hands us over. And this phrase, he handed over, is one of the most common ways that God expresses his anger in the Bible. He hands us over to the consequences of our decisions. This is how God does it. This is how God's anger is expressed in the Bible. Judges chapter 2, verse 12. They abandoned Yahweh, the God of the ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt, and they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And, and that angered Yahweh, because they're meant to be, the, the people are meant to copy them and, and to find God. But instead, they begin to, to, to copy the behaviors of the other nations. And these other nations, uh, they banded Yahweh to serve Baal and images of Ashtaroth. The, Baal and Ashtaroth, you would sacrifice your children to these gods. And Israelites began to sacrifice their children to these gods. And I don't know about you, but God is angry about that. And this made Yahweh burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to what they want. He handed them over to the other, because what you copy into your life, will eventually capture you. So he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around them, and they were no longer able to resist them. See, the biblical authors, they want us to see that God's anger is always in response to human betrayal and evil. It's always response to human betrayal and evil. And it's expressed through, through humans being handed over to the logical consequences of their decisions. In other words, God's anger is expressed by giving humans what they want, or at least what they've chosen. And if they've chosen death and ruin, well, that's exactly what they get. That's exactly what they get. And the Apostle Paul says it like this, in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, this is the New Testament, and we see the same pattern here. Therefore, God gave them over, gave them over, handed them over, in the sinful desires of their hearts, of sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies and one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Because my truth, that's what matters. God's truth? Uh, no, God, no, no one's going to tell me what to do. So they exchanged the truth about God for their own truth, for a lie, and worshipped and served created things. Because what I create, that's true. What I am control, that's true. Rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. 
So what does this mean for us? Right? Have you ever, it means swim between the flags. Anybody been to Raglan? You go down to Raglan, the lifeguard comes along, he's got his flags. You know, why does he, why does he put flags there? Because he likes flags, right? No, he puts it out. He's, he, he, he looks at the, at the waters and he sees a rip. Danger there. There's danger here. But man, right here, people can enjoy the water. So he put his flags up. Flags out and he just said, hey, people, swim between the flags. And he sits back and he, he begins to watch. He's watching and he's, he's making sure everyone's safe. And if someone swims outside of the flag, what does he do? Blows his whistle. He goes, hey, you're outside, the, you're outside the flag. There's danger there. Come back, come back, come back. So we can choose to swim between the flags and enjoy the, the, the fullness of the waters or not. The choice is ours, right? The choice is ours. When we choose not to swim between the flags and we continue to ignore the warnings and we get caught in a rip, whose fault is it? Is it the lifeguard's fault or is it the person who, who refused to listen to the warnings, right? Neither is it God's fault when you find yourself in trouble. Quite often, the reason why you find yourself in trouble is because of, 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 of something beginning with the letter D. And it's not the devil. It's our own dumb decisions. We end up in trouble. Oh, the devil's been against me. It wasn't the devil. It was your own dumb decision. I know because I've done a lot of dumb decisions in my life. I can write a book on dumb decisions. Anybody else can write a book on dumb decisions? It was just, just you, Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I see another. Yeah. I, see, I see that hand. I see that hand. And yet we blame God. But it's because of our own dumb decisions. We can choose to swim between the flags or not. The choice is yours. It's always yours. It's, it's I will do things my own way. No one's going to tell my truth is king. What I believe is king. What I feel about myself is king. What I think is true is king. You know, when we warn our children, we don't warn our children because we want to spoil their fun. We warn our children because we want to protect them. And sometimes we have to discipline them. And you know, when I, when I discipline my children, sometimes I have to take things from them because, because of their behavior. Man, it burns. Oh, man, I'm, I cry and sucks. I don't like seeing my kids being upset. But I, I do it anyway because I'm angry at what's happened. And if they continue down their path, it's going to lead to destruction. They can't see, but I can. And I take from them and it makes me feel terrible. Until a moment comes when, 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 when they begin to learn their lessons. And, I, and, you know, with delight, I give it back. And it gives me such delight to bless my kids. I'd rather bless my kids. Yeah, did you know the first time God gets angry in the Bible? You know, for many people, we think, when was the, let me ask you this question. When was the first time God got angry in the Bible? Does anybody know? Pop quiz. Give you a clue. It wasn't when God flooded the world. Because a lot of people think, oh, well, God got angry with the world because they, they turned away from him. There was destruction. They began depressing one another. So he wiped, they got angry and he wiped out. The, in fact, the Bible says, God, in fact, God doesn't get angry. He's sorrowful because of the destruction. There's, he's sorrowful of what happens. The first time God gets angry in the Bible, believe it or not, the first time it was recorded, he gets angry, is when God calls Moses to rescue the people out of slavery. He said, Moses, I'm calling you. And Moses goes, me? Nah, not me. Don't get me. How about that guy? No, I can't even speak. He goes, no, no, I'm calling you. Oh, I don't even know stuff. I'm calling you. And he goes, well, God, I and then, he, then the Bible says, and God's anger burned against Moses. Oh, my gosh. Then what does God do next? Does he smite Moses? 
No, what? He goes, I tell you what, you've got a brother called Aaron. In fact, he's on his way. He will speak for you. So God gets angry and then gives a solution. God's anger. This is how God, this is, this is what God's anger looks like. He gets angry because, come on, snap out of it. I tell you what, we'll bring your brother. He'll speak for you, Aaron. You know, um, me and my younger brother growing up in, in Mangare, we, we would, believe it or not, you probably wouldn't even believe this, but we used to steal. We used to be these little thieves. We'll steal stuff from, from the shop, food town. Remember food town? Yeah, food town. Became countdown. Now it's Woolworths. <laughs> Can't make up their mind. So we would steal either by myself and sometimes together. But for whatever reason, my mum always found out. Either because we're too stupid to hide it or not, she always found out. And my mum got angry. She got angry. And we suffered the consequences of our actions. And she handed us over. To be whooped. And we got a whooping for that. I got a whooping in the middle of Mangare Town Center twice. The good old days when you're able to whoop your kids in front of in public and other parents go, yes, yeah, absolutely. That kid obviously deserves it. You know, the whooping and my legs are flying in the air as it's going up in there. The good old days, right? I'm sure my mum was crying on the inside. I'm sure she was giving a whooping. Yeah, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I was like, you sure? Can we swap? Um, uh, and I, I wonder, I wonder if my mom, if she's ever thought, where did I go wrong with my boys? All right? In fact, my mom is actually here. Uh, and, she's, and she's actually over, uh, she's probably um, on the phone reading something else. But that's okay. And, and, um, but here's the thing. Sometimes we, we, we hand our kids over to, to the consequences of their decisions. Right? We do that. And if you've, uh, I'm not going to even go there. I'm going to say every adult in this room, when you were a teenager or when you were a young adult and you went to go do something and your parents told you, don't do this, or maybe your dad told you or your grandparents or someone said, don't do this because this will happen. But you go, no, you know, I know better. You go and do it and you're like, I wish I learned. I wish I listened. Right? We have this regret. And sometimes we, we hand our kids over to the consequences of the decision in, in the hopes that they learn from it. And praise God, you know, me and my brother, we eventually learnt. I'm so glad that my mom, she wasn't impartial. I'm glad that she got angry. Because if she did, imagine if my mom didn't get angry. That, you know, she found that we stole and she didn't have no feelings about it. In fact, there was no consequences. Imagine the, 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 what that would have taught me and my brother. Well, it's all good. Imagine where we would be today. And here I am today, because my mom got angry and there was consequences, because I got a whooping, here I am today as a senior pastor. My younger brother is a sergeant in the police force. Praise God. Yeah, there's hope for little thieves. <laughs> fact, I even stole money from the offering plate. That's another story. I wanted ice cream. I wanted ice cream after church. That's another story. Praise God for Jesus. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. But here's the thing. Because humanity rebel, because we continue to oppress one another, just turn on the news. Because there's so much evil in this world, because we, we have sinned, humanity has been handed over to death. 
It's been handed over. And, and, and the children of Israel who were meant to lead us towards God failed. But that's not the end of the story. Because God in his, com- in his compassion and grace, it is God's own love that is the answer to God's own wrath. And out of Israel came the true Israelite, Jesus, who went around with compassion and mercy and grace, who did get angry when he saw the, uh, the people in the, in the temple courts oppressing them and cheating them. And, he, and, and his anger became one of protection, and he made, a, he, he, made a, he made a whip and began to chase out the money lenders, this righteous anger to protect those who couldn't protect themselves. So instead of God handing us over, he hands himself over. And he suffers the consequences of our sins. And in the fullness of Jesus, he paid the price for your sins, for your greatest regrets. But it's still swim between the flags. We can choose to receive this gift that he's given us and swim between the flags and receive the goodness and grace and protection of God. Or we can say, you know what, God, all good. I'd rather be handed over to myself and suffer my own consequences. But we get to choose. Romans 5 verse 6 says this. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He hands himself over. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? See, God's, and God's, God's love, God's own love is his answers to, his, to the wrath of God through Jesus. You know, Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, I love this verse. I, I always go back to this. In fact, I spoke about Matthew 14 a couple of weeks ago. Matthew 14 is where Jesus walks on water. He's walking through the storm. And in the Bible, water is a, is a symbol of chaos. And so the disciples are in the, in the middle of the storm. And, and amongst chaos, we know what it's like being in chaos, where our life can be the storm. And Jesus begins to walk through the chaos. He walks through the chaos, meaning that Jesus has the power to calm the chaos. And, he, and the disciples are afraid, thinking he's a ghost. And Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. It's, it's I. And Peter's like, hey, if it's you, tell me to come to you. So he said, Jesus, come. Peter hops out of the boat, begins to walk to Jesus, and, and then he begins to focus on the storm. And this is what happens when we begin to focus on the storms of life. And he begins to sink. And so he cries out to Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 14, 31, that immediately Jesus reached out his hands, his hand to save him. Immediately. And why do I bring this story up again? Because if you've ever been a raglan, if you've ever been caught in a rip, it's not a nice place. For many people lose their lives. New Zealand, oh my gosh, surrounded by water. We keep, we keep not watching the dangers of the water. We keep getting into the chaos of the waters. And if you ever go down the beach and if you, if you don't listen, if you continue to ignore the warnings of the lifeguard and you find yourself caught in a rip and you're, you're in trouble, you're lifting up your hand, 
The lifeguard doesn't sit there and go, ah, I warned you. I told you to stay in the flags. Serves you right. Good luck. Lifeguard doesn't do that. Without hesitation, the lifeguard puts his own life at risk and he's in the chaos. And because our God is compassionate, because he is gracious, because he's slow to anger, bounding in loyal love and faithfulness, I was once outside their flag in my own sin and in my own mess and my regret and the chaos of life, ignoring the flags, I've got this. And when I found myself in trouble, instead of focusing on, on the storm, I looked to the one, I looked to the one who could save me. And he didn't say, well, serves you right. Lifted up my hands. And immediately, Jesus saved me. So we can choose to swim between the flags, between the God's grace or not. The choice is yours, but we serve a God who is slow to anger. Slow to anger. It's the God of the second chances. God of the third chances, the fourth chance. If I was God, I'd say, man, I had enough of you. Seriously? God could love me this much, but he loves you so much that he handed himself over onto the cross to set you free. We can choose to swim between the flags, enjoy the fullness of the waters, or not. The choice is always ours. Come on, let us pray.